You're listening to the Nerd Cave Network. This is Derek, Derek, Derek. Diamond, Diamond, Diamond. Experience! Hey, what's up, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. As always, I am coming to you from the mean streets of Pensacola, Florida. Hopefully, this podcast finds you in a good place, whether it be driving to work, from work, sitting at work, or maybe you lucked out and you got a three-day weekend and you're listening to this from the comfort of your own home. But wherever you are, hopefully you're in a good place, and hopefully this podcast will provide you with some sort of entertainment. This week's episode is going to be a little bit different than what I normally bring you because this past weekend I got to do something that I've never done before, and that's moderate a panel. And you may be asking, how did you get to do that? Well, this past Saturday we had a filmmaker's meet and greet at the Goat Lips Deli here in Pensacola, and Carrie Hunter, who organizes all of these meet and greets and who I've had on my show previously, reached out to me a couple of months ago and asked if I would moderate this panel. And I instantly said yes, because one, I knew it would be a lot of fun to do. And two, panels are something that I've kind of fallen in love with over the last couple of years from going to conventions like Pensacon, DragonCon, Fanaticon. And I've been part of a panel with the Nerd Cave Network, and now getting to moderate one, I now see how it is on both sides of the spectrum. But moderating the panel was a lot of fun. Uh, the topic was filmmaking on a micro-budget. And the three panelists made my job extremely easy because I remember sitting there and I would be ready to ask the next question and Naraj or Kevin or Steve would bring up some point that would lead into the next thing I was going to ask. And they didn't know that was going to be the next thing I was going to ask. So really my job was just to sit there and listen. But hopefully you guys enjoy it, and the reason why I recorded the panel is because I know a lot of people don't get to make it out to these types of things, and I thought it would be really cool for those that didn't to be able to hear what exactly happened. So here this week on the Derek Diamond Experience, you will be hearing that full filmmakers meet and greet panel about filmmaking on a micro budget, and even for those that were there, hopefully you enjoy listening to it again. So in closing, I would like to thank Carrie for asking me to moderate this panel. I had a lot of fun doing it. Thank you to Goat Lips for hosting the event. Thank you to everyone that came out. I hope there are more panels at more meet and greets. And if the opportunity presents itself, I would love to moderate all of them. And we're going to get to that panel here in just a second. But first, I want to tell you about a fantastic new album from my close friends, the Unicorn Wranglers. It's called Murder Mystery Night and features 10 original tracks, including their new single, Carne Asada, and Twin Peaks, which happens to be the theme song of the Derek Diamond Experience. Murder Mystery Night is currently available on iTunes, Amazon, Google Music, and Spotify. And if you're interested in booking them for shows, like them on Facebook, just search for The Unicorn Wranglers. And don't forget to follow them on both Twitter and Instagram, and those handles are at Wranglers. That's at U-W-R-A-N-G-L-E-R-S. Thank you. 
All right, so how's everyone doing today? Good, good. Well, welcome to this uh, filmmakers meet and greet panel. Uh, my name is Derek. I'm going to be the moderator. Uh, just to tell you a little bit about myself, I work in the creative service department for the Pensacola Blue Wahoos baseball team. And I also host a podcast that comes out every Monday called The Derek Diamond Experience. And this panel is actually being recorded for the podcast, and it will be out uh, this coming Monday. Um, our panelists here, first, uh, immediately to my right, we have Steve Wise, who Hi. is a graduate of the University of Central Florida Film School program. And he has over two decades of experience with writing, directing, and producing. Uh, to his right, we have Kevin Almodovar. Did I get that right? Close enough. <laughs> Close enough? Okay. Sorry, pronouncing names is not my strong suit. Uh, he is a partner in a Fort Walton Beach-based production company called Revive Media Services. And then to his right, we have Naraj Trivedi, who is a graduate of the FSU Film School program and is also the writer and director of the Actor Factor web series. And as I said, uh, this panel is going to be about uh, filming on a micro-budget. And the first question I want to ask all three of you, what do you consider to be micro-budget? Uh, personally, when I think of micro-budget, I think of movies that are budgeted around $30,000 or less. Uh, however, the Hollywood uh, standard of micro-budget is about a million or something like that. So, to me, a micro-budget is whatever, um, whatever you can scrape together yourself, and, and that's, that's what a micro-budget is. So. Yeah, when you're looking at Hollywood um, budgets, obviously you have films that are in the hundreds of millions of dollars, and so they look at anything that does not require into the millions as micro-budget. Um, that term is kind of new. It's, it's been around just for a few years, and I actually have been seeing articles in trade papers referring to a $3 million film as micro-budget, uh, to me, that's not micro-budget, uh, that, that's low-budget. Micro, kind of like what Naraj was saying, when you know, you're having to scrape together whatever money you can to afford to buy a camera. And so you know, if you're talking about in the hundreds of thousands, that can still be considered micro-budget, or in the tens of thousands. Um, once you pass a million-dollar mark, though, that's it, not micro. <laughs> yeah. I think also it depends on the area you're in. Uh, when you're talking about a million, not so much in this area because I think you don't have the, the constraints that you do somewhere like in L.A. You know, in L.A., you walk into any bar and say, we want to use your place for a movie. They're like, this is how much it's going to cost. Uh, you need permits. In this area, you know, you, you could find a bar. They can say, hey, that's pretty cool. You know, we'll help you out. And so you don't have those additional expenses. Uh, so depending on the area you live in and the smaller the town, I think the easier it is to shoot things. You don't have the resources like in a big town. But uh, you definitely don't have to pay for a lot of things like <laughs> permits and locations and, and other things like that. Yeah. And uh, to bounce off what, what uh, Kevin is saying is uh, last year uh, I was one of the producers on this movie called The Length as well as uh, Carrie Hunter. And while the budget, the monetary budget was about $20,000, uh, if you factor in all the free labor, all the donated locations, all the donated equipment, um, and all the other assets that were given to us, 
it's probably more like a hundred thousand dollar film. So, which which is still very low budget when when yeah. you take things into consideration. And uh, real quick, before we move on to the next topic, um, if you do need to uh, smoke, if you could please just uh, step in the outside area because we do have uh, some of the panelists who are allergic to cigarette smoke, so just please keep that in mind. Um, making a micro-budget film, you obviously have to uh, maximize your resources with what you have. Uh, what, what are some of the, the resources that you consider that you need to maximize, like specific resources? Camera. <laughs> that, that's the most basic thing that you need is, is a camera. Um, you know, you can invest in a lot of other equipment, lights, sound equipment, um, but the basic equipment that you need for shooting a movie is, is a camera. Um, and you also need to have some means to edit it. Yeah. Uh, to me, okay, so when I was running the Actor Factor, I knew that we were going to make it on a micro budget. So the way that I created the story in itself was to facilitate that. Uh, about half the script takes place in four locations that I knew that we would get easy access to. I also wrote the parts for actors that I already knew that were going to play the parts, which actually made the uh, script come even more to life. Um, we already had a good idea in mind of what we could get in terms of equipment and also uh, other props, clothing, and all these things. And all this informed the story. So I basically wrote the story to maximize the resources that I had at, at hand. So one of the best things that you could do if you're getting started with a micro-budget film or you know you want to make a micro-budget film is to gather a list of the resources that you already have easy access to. Um, and then try to formulate your story around those easy mm -hmm. things. If it's a house or cars or um, a wooded location or whatever it is, you can alter your story to incorporate those elements. And uh, that seems to have worked for us. So. To kind of piggyback on what he said about uh, the resources that you have available, for filmmakers, you got to take that in con into consideration when you're reading a script or deciding what you're going to shoot. Uh, if the script is too ambitious, too many locations, mm -hmm. and, you know, at that point, you have to realize what your resources are and what your limitations are. I think uh, you can still have a great story, a great script, a great movie. It doesn't have to be elaborate. It doesn't have to have all these, you know, CGI and effects and <clears throat> locations and crew. I mean, you know, and, and, and cast, extras, things like that. So those are things to consider. And I run, that into, I run into that all the time. He's like, I read a lot of scripts, and people come out and say, oh, I really like to make this. And, and the first thing that I do when I read a script is break it down in my head. Mm -hmm. As a producer, I can break it down. And I can tell them, hey, this, this is like a five-day shoot for a 10-minute short. That, that doesn't make sense. Too many locations, too many people. So those are things that you got to consider when you have a budget and you're limited on resources because you can still make a great film. And a perfect example is the, uh, the film that won uh, Best of Show in uh, Pensacon. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know the name. What was the name of that? Uh, Best of Show was uh, Contract. The zombie. Yeah. No, no. Uh, uh, Contract, which uh, Austin Herman is here. He, he was the director on it. Was that Best of Show? Oh, audience, award. audience award. I'm sorry. Okay, you're talking about the best in show. Best in show is um, a zombie one. Okay, oh, that one was uh, shoot. What's the name of it? Uh, defense mechanism. Okay, one location. 
you know. It was a garage. It was in a garage. Yeah. Who, who doesn't have access to a garage? Uh, the script was brilliantly written. It was well executed as far as the actors were concerned. And think about the logistics of that. How hard is it to find a garage? So those are things that you got to, you know, if you're, if you're producing, uh, the things you got to think about is what your limited resources are. Look at that script, break it down, say, is this realistic with the resources that I have? And, and as, a, as a screenwriter also, if you are starting off writing a script that you want to produce on a micro budget, think about those things. Be, be a producer as you're writing. I know this kind of goes contrary to what you know, a lot of people say as far as, oh, use your imagination and write everything and then pare it down. Well, that's Limit, fine. Limitations do uh, spark creativity. It, it does, absolutely. And if you know that you're not going to get a cast of a thousand, you're not going to be able to do a big battle scene, don't write that. You know, what, can you write a fight between two people if you have to have a, a fight scene? As opposed to, and, and can you write it without massive stunts? Can you have you know one person punching another, and you know you can shoot that with a um, cheated angle, or do you have to bring in a stuntman? Um, you know, I produced a film a couple years ago. Several people in the audience here were were in it. Uh, Girl from Iceland. We had a stuntman coming in from Miami to coordinate a stunt scene, and I mean for the size of what the film was, which ended up being you know, roughly half an hour long, the production was outrageous. And when I stepped on board as producer, I looked at the script and it was like, you guys are crazy because you have 20 locations. That means that you have 20 company moves. And you think about that as far as, okay, if you have a 10-person crew and you have three locations that you have to shoot that day, how hard is it to get people to arrive for your call time on time? You say 9 o'clock is call time, guarantee that someone's going to be showing up at 9.30. And so your cameras roll at 10 o'clock. By noon, you have to take a break for lunch, and then you have to get to your second location and then to your third location. These are all resources that you have to think about. Is it practical to do that, or can you shoot it in one location? You know, so as you're writing the script, think about that. How, how can you combine scenes to maximize the locations that you have and the resources, including crew, including cast, including, you know, equipment? You know, if you're fortunate like um, Revive Media, you know, you have some pretty good equipment over there. That's great. Do you have the manpower, meaning grips, to be able to haul that from place to place? Or would it be better to shoot it in your house to where it's right there, you set it up, and even if it takes three days to film, great, you have everything right there. And the other thing that I would recommend or would like you to think about is the concept of quality over quantity. Mm -hmm. because, because of our limited budget, <coughs> I had the option of going with several lower class or you know perhaps lenses that weren't as great quality as what I have or I could get you know instead of buying three lenses I could buy one cinema lens with a smooth you know uh, focus and aperture and maybe a couple of filters that I could throw on there and I can get a really really great quality image yes it makes 
things shooting a little bit more difficult, but at the same time, the image quality is higher. Same thing with the sound. Uh, we decided to invest in a in a high end um, a high end shotgun mic, and while that hurt the budget. I mean, it's going to save us on the back end in terms of time and just resources uh, because you need quality sound. So it's better, in my opinion, to have a couple of, a couple of things that are very, very good, professional-level quality, and use those to the best of your ability than to have um, lower ends or whatever you want to call it um, type of things. Uh, in terms of lights, look at the quality of the actual light that's emanating. You know, you can get you can get high quality lighting pretty cheap if you're looking at the light itself, not the housing and you know how what the professionals use and that sort of thing. So, the quality over quantity mindset has really helped us. And when you're limited in what you can use, you use it. You find creative more creative ways to use what you have. Oh, and the also, the other resource that you have at your hand as a micro-budget filmmaker, and the one that you need to maximize to your best, the best of your ability is time. Yeah. It's time, you have, it's your project. I won't say you have all the time in the world, but take the time to do things right. There is no need to schedule, you know, a six week shoot that's six days a week. You know, you don't need to do that. You can, and then diminish the quality of what you're doing. You can take your time, focus on the step that you're doing right then and there, and, um, and then that'll just make the quality of your project better. And let's not forget, too, that one of the resources that you have is the community. You know, make use of people in this room, for instance. You know, get to know who's out there and who has the skills and physical resources. If you know, for instance, that Niraj has a really good sound system, that, you know, nice uh, boom mic, and you need to use it, hey, maybe get to know him and say, you know, can I go work on your project if you come help, help mine? Um, you know, network, get to know people and see, you know, what their talents are. Um, there are several facilities or, or at least people in this town that have decent equipment and you know you might have to spend a little bit of money on on those people but is it worth it to spend a little bit of money and have the the resources that you ha that you need in terms of, of equipment yeah and you're also going to gain knowledge yeah if you work with somebody like kevin you're going to learn a lot about things like lighting if you work with someone like, like steve you're going to learn things about story um, so working with other people, you can use their knowledge to help, you know, increase your own. So people, like Steve is saying, are resources, not just for what they can give you in terms of assets, equipment, locations, but also in terms of actual skill, knowledge, and experience. Uh, go ahead, Steve. Oh, I was just wanted to add one more thing regarding resources. And in, in talking about locations... Use the resources that are local to you in terms of storytelling. We live in a beautiful area here. If you can tell a story that takes place on the beach, do it. Because there aren't a whole lot of areas in the country that have the beaches like we have or the locations that we have. And so if, if you're able to say, you know what, 
I'm going to tell a story that maybe we can go and, and steal some shots over at uh, the fort, for instance. Um, that adds production value. And think in terms of, okay, how can I maximize what's on screen with, without paying any money for it? Uh, Christopher Nolan, one, his first film that he released, uh, that he directed, was called uh, Following. And if you ever listen to audio commentary, rent that, get that movie and listen to the audio commentary because it's like a film school in 90 minutes. And he talks about, and of course he shot that in London, I think it was, using rooftops because you don't have to pay permits. Well, around here, permits really aren't a big issue or an issue, but you may have to... Um, you know, get permission to film in places. Well, look around. Look at look at this place. Look how cinematic this location is. You know, talk to the owner and say, hey, you know, would I be able to come on a day that you're not really busy and shoot a scene here? People are willing to to help out. And, you know, in, in, look around and see what, what is out there in the community because you can add a lot of production value to your project just just by getting out of an apartment. Uh, going off the money comment that you mentioned a second ago, say you absolutely have to have some sort of money for your project. How would you go about getting it? <laughs> Beg, steal. <laughs> I was just going to say, let's rob bank. Yeah. I think, you know, what you have today over what we didn't have 20 years ago is, is the internet, you know, for that type of thing, Kickstarters, things like that. Um, if, if you're going to go that route, have, have something substantial. It's no different. Kickstarter is no different than going to a bank and asking for a loan. Uh, bank doesn't really care. They want to see you did your work. When you go in there and you want a business loan, they want to see a business plan, and it better be this high. And you say, well, I'm only needing money for a hot dogs cart. We don't care. We want it this high to know that we're going to invest in you. So, you know, if, 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 uh, if you don't have something to give people, you know, a perfect example is Naraj. Naraj, you know, he served with the uh, Marines, spent his time there. That gives you value. He went to film school. That gives you value. He worked in the industry. That gives you value. So when he goes and does a Kickstarter, he's got that. Uh, I think... I think if you try to do something like that and you don't have anything to offer, it's going to be really tough. Um, instant gratification is, is, I think, something that I see today that, that really we need to work. It, production is work. You need to earn it. So if you <coughs> don't have that value, earn it. Go out. Be a PA. Be an assistant. Be a grip. Uh, get into the business. If you're in bigger markets like L.A., New Orleans, work for a rental house. You know, a lot of people started driving a rental truck. Uh, do your homework. We have access to so much information online. There's so much information. You could educate yourself and know so much more than you could have 20 years ago. And that adds value. Uh, do short films, no budget short films, to show people that what you can do. And I think that is building your resume so that when it the time comes to get that money, either through a Kickstarter or asking someone for a loan, you can go and say, hey, look what I did. Look what I've done. This is the education that I have, or this is the knowledge that I have, or these are the uh, seminars that I attended, and check out these three or four or five or six short films that I did. That brings value to the table, and it makes it a lot easier for somebody to invest in your project when they see you've put a lot of hard work into it, and you can show them what you've done. And, uh, I'm sorry, Naraj, go ahead. Oh. 
Uh, let's see. We we use Kickstarter to fund um, the actor factor, and the reason why we chose that is because we th we wanted to give the security to our uh, backers that uh, we're going to have enough money to complete the project. Indiegogo is another crowdfunding mm -hmm. website where even if you don't hit your mark, you still get a majority of the percentage of the funds that you raise. Now, the only thing with that is that you can go into a project underfunded, and I would, I would hesitate to... Um, I mean, knowing how difficult production is, that would be something that would raise some concerns for me. So you do have crowdfunding that you can do. Um, now, who are you going to get to crowdfund? Well, I, I hit up my parents. You know, I hit up my parents. I hit up all my family. I went back into my emails and was just emailing people that I hadn't talked to in five years because the, only, the, the thing that they couldn't say, I mean, the worst thing that they could say is just no or, you know, ignore you. Mm -hmm. And surprisingly, I had people donate to, I, I never in a million years thought I would. I was just like, hey, you know, I'm sorry to reach out for you, <laughs> reach out to you, you know, after so long asking you for something, but I'm doing this thing, can you give me a hand? Uh, so that worked. Um, I've worked with people who, they had really good credits, so they got credit cards and they liquidated that. <laughs> now... The thing with that is that they, before they did that, though, they made sure that they had a plan to be able to, you know, pay down the payments and things like that. But I think they got ten to $15,000 of credit and, and liquidated all of it, and they had cash. And uh, that, that really helped them out. Uh, don't, like, I, I think there's a thing you can do where you get, like, a, a loan on your mortgage or some, some crazy things like that. Don't, don't do anything crazy like that. You know, don't do what's going to hurt you and stress you out in terms of getting funds because it's going to diminish the quality of your project. You're going to feel pressured to, um, you know, create something great, and that pressure itself is, is going to prevent you from doing that. Uh, and then, you know, you might destroy some relationships or whatever uh, along the way. So uh, if you have assets, though, I mean... Why not get not why not get some collateral, you know, a collateral loan or something like that, a layaway plan. If you need an editing system, I mean, you can do that. Um, once you once you are determined that you want to create a micro budget project, you you can find the finances if you if you get creative. Um, yeah. Two things I want to add um, is. One, no matter which direction you're going to be going, whether it's trying to get private investors or going the crowdsourcing ways, do your homework. It is really important to have everything all ready to go. Because if you leave any loose ends whatsoever, you're, you're going to run into some problems. Um, if you're going the Kickstarter Indiegogo route, for instance, you, one of the requirements on there is to give your donors some sort of reward. If they donate $10, oh, they get a thank you. If they donate $100, they get you know, a t-shirt. Well, those items that you're giving to your donors have to come out of your budget. And they have to come out of some, you know, putting time and effort into creating those things. Even if it's a 
a DVD or a CD or, or some other um, physical object, a copy of the script. Well, great. You know, if it's a digital copy, that's one thing. But if it's physical that you have to mail out to these people, then you're putting in time and resources that are taking away from the budget of your film. But if it gets you $100,000 and you have to spend $10,000 on you know, some of these prizes, that might be worth it to you. So you have to kind of factor that into the budget also and, and how much time it's going to take to, to put all that together after the fact. Um, a lot of people that I've heard of who have been successful in getting a, you know, a, a film finance through Kickstarter found out that um, it's not as good as, as they had hoped because they end up having to spend a lot of their, their money that they earned in the prizes that they're giving back to the people. So be smart about that. Um, but in doing their homework, okay, so you have a script. And you know in the script you only have four characters, and so you don't have to worry about bringing in and hiring a, a lot of... Um, you know, a, a huge cast. And you've got just three primary locations, so you don't have to worry about moving around all over the place. And it's a fairly simple shoot with a high concept. Great. You've got the script perfect for a low budget. Well, what do you do from that point? Well, you're going to have to, like Kevin said, you, you're going to have to break it down. You're going to have to see what all your elements are. You know, what kind of props do you have? Did you just write in where you have a gunfight? Oh, great. Now you're going to have to acquire these guns. How are they going to fire? Are you going to use blanks? Are you going to do it in post-production where just with animated flares? Are you going to have a stunt person on set? Are you going to have a gun wrangler who is certified in handling weapons? You know, so these are things that you have to think about. You break the script down, and then you have to budget it out. You have to know how many days you're going to be shooting and how many days each cast member is. Maybe you have one cast member, one character, that's only required for one or two days. Can you take some of that budget and hire a name actor? One thing I've learned uh, working staff on Pensacon is there are a lot of actors out there with name value who are just like you and I that are going from paycheck to paycheck. And if you contact them and say, hey, would you like to work on a film for one day and earn $2,000? They might jump at the chance. And that, that's a person that you've seen on TV or in movies because they have to pay the bills too. Hey, you, know, you might have to pay for their plane trip in a hotel room, but you bring them into town and, and suddenly now you have a name actor in your film. So these are things that to do the homework Put all this together before you even start asking for money. Here's, a, here's another really crazy, we didn't even talk about this one. It's a really crazy, unheard of way to get money, and nobody can stop you from doing it. Earn it. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's crazy. I know it's crazy. It's kind of out there. No, it's, it's not as crazy as you think. <laughs> I, was, I was forced to get a better job after we started filming. So. No, uh, you know, I, I was fortunate. I had, I had started a business as a, a beach service, and it provided for me, and it gave me some funds. Uh, when I got the bug to start doing this, and I bought a, my very first camera was a $3,000 camera, and I was able to pay for it. And after playing around for a little bit, I said, you know, this is kind of kind of an expensive camera to shoot home videos with, and the business mind started 
I said, how do I make money? Yeah, you know, it's, I, I could afford this. I had the money to buy this, but still it was 3000 I didn't have anymore, which kind of sucks. But I started going, okay, how can I do this? So I joined the PSA. I started getting into the community of video production professionals. And the easiest way for me to earn that money back was doing weddings. And don't get me wrong, I knew before I even started, I hated weddings. I was not going to like to do weddings. Who does that anyways? And especially today, there's no second take. You got to get it right the first time. You may have to deal with some bridezillas. Okay, it's a lot of things <laughs> that could go wrong at a wedding. But uh, I was getting 500 to to $1,000 a gig on the weekends. That's extra money. I didn't work on the weekends. Did it for a couple of years. Did about maybe five to eight weddings a year. And in those two years, not only did I pay my camera off, but I was able to buy a lot more gear for my productions. And I didn't have to beg from anybody or borrow from anybody because I own that gear. If I wanted to go just shoot something, I couldn't get crew, and I just did it on my own, I had the gear to go do it. So that's, that's another way to do it, too. If you got to get a second job, if you got to, you know, whatever you got to do to earn cash to make that happen, believe me, there, there's something about putting your own sweat, blood, and tears and your own capital into a movie that sometimes will make it a little better. <laughs> I, yeah, and uh, that's why time is, is on your side. Uh, I had a friend, uh, his name is Dan Ast, and he produced a movie called Claire in Los Angeles. And uh, he used to freelance, but he knew that he wanted to do this movie, so he got a, a job editing, you know, um, I think he was assistant editing at Warner Brothers or whatever. But then, uh, so he just shot on the weekends and put his money th that he earned into the project. And over the course of, you know, it took a while to shoot it, but he was able to do it step by step just because he knew that he had that, he knew exactly what his budget was going to be every two weeks. So there's something definitely be said for that. The other experience that, um, the other thing I would say is, uh, okay, so when I was a PA, out in Los Angeles, uh, another PA came on board, and it was my job to, like, handhold him and and give him tasks to do and things like that. And I got really frustrated because he was so inept. And uh, <laughs> so I went to the, the pr production manager and said, "Hey, this guy, he's actually decree. You know, he's taking away from the job that I'm doing. It's like, let's just get rid of him." turns out that he was very, very wealthy, so the producers wanted him on board um, the project, so make rich friends. <laughs> uh, one more quick thing before we uh, take questions, and if you do have a question, we have a microphone set up uh, here to our right uh, that you can come ask your question at. Uh, once your micro-budget project is finished, how do you handle the distribution of it? Well, what we did is uh, one of the donors that I got for a Kickstarter, his name is Dave, uh, David Shatinoff, and uh, he actually has experience with distribu uh, distributing web series. So I targeted him as an investor, gave him the script, and, uh, and asked him if he would be interested in distributing our project uh, on various platforms. Now, it's, it's great because... Uh, he had worked in conjunction with some other friends and got a web series called Vampires on Ex Machina. 
And then the other web series that his production company is producing called D Studios uh, is called L.A. Macabre, and it's, it's, just swept, it's just sweeping awards for, for web series. So I, I found a distributor. I, I had a, a connection. But beyond that, and that, that was something that uh, came in at the last minute because I wanted to make sure that our project crossed the finish line for Kickstarter. So I reached out to him, asked him to donate big, big time and you know we would uh ally ourselves with him but my uh plan before that was going to happen was just to use uh you know youtube vimeo it 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 really depends what you want to do with your project because there there are lots of different routes you can go uh micro budget features are actually sort of on the rise in terms of their popularity and um, uh, and of course the main reason is because the profit margin is so high on them and then there's a, a thirst for original voices original stories um, out there I mean I worked with a filmmaker who teamed up with other filmmakers and they bought their way into the American film market and also the international film market um, and they've got some international distribution. So it really depends what you want to do with your project. Uh, I would say with micro-budget features, don't look to make money. I mean, mm. that, that should not be your aim. Your aim should be to make the best quality project that you possibly can. And then standing on the merit of your work, uh, you'll, you'll rise to the top. Um, the there's two flip sides to the uh the proliferation of technology to make filmmaking easier and that's one that there's a lot more people in it now and so to get noticed uh is much more difficult but it also means that the timeless principles that make filmmaking you know that make classics story acting uh just storytelling those things are <laughs> those things endure so it means that you have to be good you have to be great and in that way it it's great because you know you whatever you want to call it the cream will rise to the top or survival of the fittest or, or whatnot it, it it makes storytelling better in general when when you first start off uh, with your project and let, let's say we're doing a feature film here um, you want to have in mind wh what you're going to be doing with this how is it going to be distributed you may not know the exact route but you should have a, a pretty good idea if you're going to be taking it the uh, film f festival route, if you're going to be trying to go to the studios, try to find um, a direct-to-DVD distributor. So have it, have it in mind before you even go get financing because that's going to dictate where your money comes from. If you know, hey, I, you know, I have access to some very wealthy person who just might put up a couple hundred thousand dollars for me to get this feature film made, that person's going to want that money back. It's an investment for them. So this isn't just you know playtime like oh well okay I'm, I made a movie yay. It's this is a business and it's a business venture. And so you say okay what are my options? Well it's going to be a multi-year plan because just to get the film made and edited and out there it's going to be a good year before you see an end product. And then from that point on you're going to have to try to make connections to, to try to find distribution. Now, 
like Niraj says, there are a lot of openings for, the, for distribution that were not there before. Simply putting it out on YouTube or Vimeo. You know, YouTube now has means to monetize your films. So if you want it purely web-based, that's fine. But here again, do your homework. See what reality is as far as how much money that could potentially bring in. Um, there's direct-to-video, VOD, um, and, of course, the film festival circuit, which is very difficult. There, there's a lot more film festivals opening up. I mean, I'm running, running one right now, uh, the, the Pensacon Film Festival. Um, and the competition out there is really, really tough. So look at what realities are. Do you have a micro-budget horror film, for instance, something that has a unique spin that we haven't seen before, but yet can be done with very little money, there's a good chance that you can get that sold because it doesn't matter in that genre if you have name actors or not. If you're doing a comedy, is this the funniest thing that people have, have seen? You, know, you had Super Troopers, which, by the way, Super Troopers 2 is being funded by uh, Kickstarter, and they just raised a couple billion dollars for it but they had the advantage of having a first movie behind them. But they came out of nowhere when they, when they did their film. It was a comedy troupe, and they said, hey, let's make a movie. And so they did, and they did a few films. And Super Troopers, they were able to get into Sundance at the midnight movie showings because it was just such a bizarre, outrageous comedy. And it sold. They were able to get distribution. So is your film even though it has no money, is it high concept enough to where people are going to take notice and go, you know what, I'm going to program that in my festival because it is weird and different and nobody's seen something like this before. And is it going to take notice of a studio that will take a chance at putting an investment in there to get it out there? You know, are you going to be able to go the Netflix route or Redbox? Netflix has changed their policies in the last few years because it has become so successful. At one time, I know this for a fact because a friend of mine wrote a movie that was shot in Germany that was played on Netflix. All you had to do was submit the film because there weren't the proliferation of independent films out there. They were looking for content and they needed to build their catalog up and it didn't matter what the films were. They needed content so people would pay their $8 a month and have a good selection to choose from. Now it's almost impossible to get onto Netflix. You have to go through an aggregator who sells your film as a package with 20 other movies. And so you have to basically hire this aggregator. But, you know, there are other means. Can, you know, there are, like, there's, there are theaters around the country, art house theaters, that will allow you to rent the theater. There's a place in, uh, there's a, a big theater in New York, as a matter of fact, that um, will do this, and uh, the four quad. And if you pay them a certain fee, which is in the thousands of dollars, then you, your film will play for a week, and they'll actually arrange for the New York film critics to come and watch your movie. And they'll handle all this ticket sales and everything, but, and then you make money, whatever the tickets are. Are you going to make a lot of money off that? No. But can you build that into your budget that when you go and say, I need $200,000, well, are you going to take 20000 of that and put it towards marketing and distribution? 
and say, okay, I'm not touching this money for the film, but I know that I need X number of dollars to put it into these theaters so the critics will take notice of it and it'll get made. Or is that some of that money going to go towards film festival fees? It's not cheap to enter film festivals. And you can burn through money very quickly. So here again, do your research, do your homework, get your budget laid out, and figure out what the best game plan is and approach it like a business. One of the things, I know we were talking about all these uh, budgets and things, but one of the things you need to know, especially if you're going to try and uh, dip your foot into short films, is don't get into debt doing a short film. Mm-hmm. You're not going to get your money back on that. <clears throat> if you feel that it's going to, uh, you know, this thing's going to be so good that it's going to get you the right exposure, then yeah, it's worth investing in. But really, you really have to look at that. One statistic you should know, it's probably about 5% of feature films get some type of distribution deal. 5%. That's not to discourage you. That's just to encourage you to make sure that your film is good, that you put everything into it. And at the end of the day, you can say, you know what? I put everything into this film, and I gave it the best that I could give it. And, you know, the thing with distribution is, is you, can, you can get your film seen. That's easy. That's mm-hmm. their job. They're, just, they're looking for content. The thing is, is it good enough to get a distribution deal? And when I say 5%, I'm not talking about somebody that gets to be seen in 1,000 theaters and they gross $30 million the first weekend. Distribution deal could be something like Netflix, mm-hmm. where you're getting a dollar here, a dollar there, and it may take you five to ten years to break even. So that's, you know, it kind of gives you an idea of how hard it is to get a distribution deal. So, you know, one of the things that, <clears throat> and I think outside of the people who are in the industry, is a misconception that production is easy, and it's not. It's, it's, it's a lot of hard work. And I'm going to tell you that with what I have seen is that most of the time, you're going to have your projects die in post. <laughs> and I'm going to tell you why. With pre-production, if it, and for those of you who don't know, you, you should at least be doing the same amount of time as production in pre-production or double. Mm-hmm. Some say triple. If you're doing a week of production, you should be spending one, two, or three weeks in pre-production. That's how much work has to go into planning. So pre-production is pretty easy because you could do that all yourself. You have all the time in the world. You could schedule your shoot a year from now, and you could do it all on your own. That doesn't cost you anything but your time, your sweat, your blood. You don't have to spend any of your budget on that. Your tears. That's right. <laughs> Day of production. You can get a lot of people to help. That's, that's when everybody shows up, right? It's fun. You get the work the clapper and say action. Yeah, everybody shows up for that. But post-production, you're basically taking the job of that entire crew that you did on production day and giving it to one person or maybe two. And if you're asking them to do it on either low budget or no budget, guess what they're doing first? The jobs that pay. Mm-hmm. That project could sit there forever before it gets done. So if there's anything you're going to put your money into, make sure you put it into post. Make sure that that movie gets cut and it gets, to, and it gets done. And that, that's one of the biggest mistakes that uh, filmmakers make is not allocating the funds for post-production. Now, things are different now than they had been 5, 20, you know, 10, 20 years ago where it, you had to go to a post-production facility in order to get your film cut. Now, you can get Final Cut Pro 10 for, what, $300, something like that. But, you know, 
what kind of storage facility are you going to have for your footage? If you're shooting a feature film, you're shooting a lot of footage. What size files are they? You know, are you shooting ProRes or RAW, where it's going to be eating up a lot of memory? So you're going to have to invest in storage, and you're going to have to invest in a computer that will run the program that is decent. You know, are you going to get, um, you know, like I said, Final Cut, which is a fairly cheap program now, or are you going to go with Adobe, or are you going to go with Avid? Do you have the, the skills and, tech and, and means to, to do the post-production yourself, or do you have to do, like Kevin said, and, and bring in people that know how to cut, that know how to do the sound, hiring a musician that's going to provide the right score for you? Um, these are all things that you have to take into consideration. Those need to be planned in pre-production. Otherwise, you're going to have some great footage that is sitting there, and you're not going to know what to do with it. And, and it's not going to go anywhere, and you're not going to finish. Yeah. Um, the, like, okay, so invest time and money in your education. Uh, there are websites out there. One of them is called Film Specific, and it is all about distribution, like how to, how to get distribution, what you should be doing, what you shouldn't be doing. Um, there's another, there's a, a, pro, a production company called Film Collaborative. They're a nonprofit and they help independent filmmakers with uh, distribution. So and you can take seminars and work workshops as well. So definitely put in time and money into your own knowledge, your own education of, of what you're getting into. Um, I mean, it's, 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 so, it's so easy nowadays. Just Google film <laughs> distribution and, and see what you come up with and start getting educated. So. <clears throat> Does anyone have any questions? Wow, we covered it all. Yeah. If you want to step up to the microphone <laughs> so we can hear you. <laughs> uh, my name's Ron. Uh, thanks to you guys for coming out and, and presenting this. It was uh, very informative to me. I come from it from an actor standpoint. Mm -hmm. But... One of my questions is, and you, you talked on this briefly, I mean, how many movies can you do like this before you <laughs> make money? You, you got to make money. The end point is I got to make some money to be able to, you know, pay my bills, to get more equipment, to hire better people, to get it distributed, to uh, – where does that come in? You say don't expect to make it on your first film or whatever, yeah. but at what point do you say – I'm done. I can't do this. I made four films. Never. <laughs> you never say that. Yeah. Well, if I you're mean, gonna yeah. say that, I mean, but, but look, you need to set up your your lifestyle, your filmmaking life, so it's sustainable, and that will get you there. It it that you learn so much while you're doing. You know, you can't have it all figured out and laid out, and then take the steps to do it. You learn each each step of the way. You learn. Sure. The first film that I produced or tried to produce was that film called Claire. The first time, it, it was a complete wreck. It, it was a disaster. It, it was just, it, I stepped out of the industry for two years because it was such a gut-wrenching, horrible experience. But of course, I couldn't stay away, you know? I, 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 I love pain. I'm, I'm a masochist. But, um, yeah, be an actor. <laughs> but, so 
so, but I learned from that experience, all right? And then when this, this, uh, we had this opportunity, one of, one of our friends, our mutual friends, uh, Mine and Carrie's, uh, this, this filmmaker, he was going to produce this feature called The Links. I saw that as an opportunity to, to take what I had learned from that disaster and to apply it to The Links. And after the links was done, I then was like, okay, I have the ability to do this now. Like, I have gained that experience. So I took those steps to, to gain the experience to do the actor factor with confidence, you know. Now, wh where am I going to go on from there? Well, I'm going to just continue to create and hone my craft, you know. And um, be, like I'm telling you to, or telling all of y'all to get educated, that's the same thing that I'm doing myself. I read every single day something about film, whether it's the, the trades, um, Hollywood Reporter, Variety, whatever it is. You know, like, I have no idea why I know that uh, if you're trying to get form distribution, they swallow up ghost stories and supernatural type of films. So, um, it, it really is, it really is that, I mean, it's, it's that simple. You could strike it because of timing. You could make it big on the next one, or it might take you 10 years, you know? Um, and I'm an actor too, so I know about, you know, okay, well, my job as an actor is to audition. Your job as a filmmaker is to make films. So if you're a filmmaker, you're gonna make films. And you'll get there, you'll get there, but you have to, you have to believe it. I know this sounds all cheesy cornball <laughs> stuff that you hear people say it all the time, but it's the thing that's that's kept me going is that faith that you know I'll find my way as I as I go on the journey. So you, you have to have a little bit of insanity to get into this business, um, and you and you can't expect that within a certain timetable that you're going to be making a profit off of things. You might be able to get one film off the ground and it sits there and doesn't do anything. Then you get another film off the ground, and it sits there and doesn't do anything, and you get a third, and then suddenly it hits. Or you could have one big hit and never do anything again. Um, there's a lot of movies that I've seen where it's like, wow, this is a really great little independent film. Whatever happened to that director? I don't know. He's being a dental assistant in Omaha now, you know, because he just could never get anything else done. Um, two real-world ex um, examples I want to I give you, um, and these are both from people that uh, I went to film school with. Um, this guy that I knew from film school, right after we graduated, he had a feature that he wanted to, to make, and he was funding it himself through credit cards, primarily, and his, and his parents, and he asked me to come in and produce it for him because he... he really had no clue how to put together the film. And so I did, we put together a 30 person crew, working, professionals working on deferment, which essentially means for free. And we got through the production um, because of some issues that, some conflicts, I ended up walking off the project partway through it. Um, I just didn't feel comfortable with the way that he was taking it and treating people. Well, that film ended up running out of money. Um, they, he was shooting on 16 millimeter. It was back before the digital days. A couple of reels of film got lost somehow. This was after I stepped off the film. And some years later, he was able to cut it as a short film. 
he got it into some festivals. And lo and behold, my name is, even though I told him to take my name off of it, um, <laughs> I have credit on IMDb for, for producing this thing. It was produced as a feature film, but it was released as a short. He made no money off of it. Um, the, the second story is a couple of buddies of mine that I went to school with. Um, one of them I had worked with for, for several years, and we had teamed up, um, had a, took an office out at Universal Studios in Orlando just to get a, an office, you know, an, an address, because that, that proved helpful. Um, but he and his friend, uh, Dan and Ed, they, they ended up uh, teaming up. They scraped together some money. They got some investment um, through... Uh, Dan's girlfriend's father <clears throat> put together some money and they were they took a different approach to filmmaking to try to just you know something people hadn't really thought of before just because out of necessity to try to get this thing made and it just so happened that one of their producer you know what there were five of them that kind of came together for this one of them had worked for the Florida Film Festival and so that the Florida Film Festival was able to show it, and they had connections with Sundance. So Sundance said, sure, because we know you guys will show it at the midnight show. After it showed, they spent all night negotiating with a distributor. Um, they were written a check for a million dollars. That film was The Blair Witch Project. Okay. Um, Two examples right there from the same group of, of film students. Um, it, it's random. You can luck out. They happen to have the right connections. Everything just fell into place for them. And they were innovative with the way that they were doing, doing the film. They, they were thinking creatively because they had limited resources. They used um, equipment from UCF's film program. Okay? They, they were able to say, okay, what do we have? And how can we tell a story? Hey, let's grab a high eight video camera and have two thirds of the movie just shot on that with the actors filming themselves. Okay, there, that, that cuts down on our production costs because we don't need a production crew. Well, of course, now everybody and their brother are doing that type of film. Okay, well, there are a lot of examples of films being sold that are the found footage type. Um, this other film that I worked on that I won't even name, um, it, it, it didn't come together. It was, it was a mess. And he wasn't thinking creatively. He was thinking more artistic. And it was, it was a jumbled mess. And, you know, it, but maybe if it had been cut together, if it had been completed, um, maybe it was kind of an experimental type of thing, maybe it could have hit and he would have been the next David Lynch. I don't know. So it, it's, it's very, very random. I always have this saying, production is 50% hard work, 50% luck. And that's the truth. But <clears throat> just because you're not the guy to make $10 million on a film doesn't mean you can't be doing what you love and earning a living. Um, one of the things that I do, you know, I do production locally for my clients, love doing that. And then with my gear, I get hired on, on bigger shoots as a gaffer most of the time. I don't have to do that, but I love doing that. I love being on set. I love lighting. You know, to me, it's, it's a passion. Cinematography is a passion. And whether I'm doing it for free or I'm getting paid my full day rate, I love it the same. So it's really finding a way to work in that industry in whatever capacity. So it's, it's really, a, it's, a, it's about 
loving what you do and doing what you love. It's like, uh, you know, if you love making coffee, you can open a coffee shop and have aspirations to be the next Starbucks. You may never hit that, but you, you're making coffee every day. You're having fun. So whether, you know, whether it's uh, working as a PA or a gaffer or a grip or moving to a bigger market where you have more opportunities to get on set, whether your aspiration is to be an actor, but being on set as a PA or a grip, you know, you gain that knowledge and you're in an environment that you love. So it's really, we do it for the love and the passion. The fact that you can make money is a bonus. All right, well, uh, in closing, is there anything, like projects or anything that you guys would like to plug? Uh, we are currently shooting The Actor Factor, which is a, a web series locally produced and shot, starring a lot of my uh, cohorts from uh, <laughs> AMC Talent, several of which are here. Um, let's see, the plan is to finish shooting principal photography in the summer and then um, edit in the fall and then distribute thereafter. So the Actor Factor web series, uh, you, you know, just look it up on on Facebook um, or you can look me me up, Niraj Trevetti. I'm friends with Steve Weiss and all these people. So uh, that's, that's my project. It's going to be Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> right now we're just working on uh, short films. Uh, I want to refine my craft as a cinematographer. Uh, really start kind of putting a crew together. I have a uh, teleplay that I wrote, uh, submitted to the Austin uh, Film Festival. Uh, hopefully the opportunity getting picked up. If it doesn't get picked up, uh, then we'll shoot it ourselves. And, and hopefully we'll have, uh, by the time I get done this year, kind of refining what I want to learn and the crew I want to do. Then the following year, we'll probably be looking to get that ramped up. It's a family-friendly Saturday afternoon type movie. So, sorry, there's no cursing and no gore. <laughs> if you want cursing, watch the actor fact. <laughs> and that's just behind the scenes. Uh, <laughs> Uh, I don't have any particular uh, production coming up, but I am on staff at Pensacon, and we're gearing up for next year. Um, one of the things that I do run through Pensacon is the Pensacon Short Film Festival, and um, the call for entries is going to be starting in June. So if you do have a science fiction, horror, fantasy, comic book, geek-related type of film, and you think that it might be, you know decent quality and you want to get it seen locally, um, check out the website, uh, pensacon.com, or you can search for it on Film Freeway. Uh, be looking for it. I'll be posting it on the Umbercoast Film Group also. Uh, the second thing is um, I'm planning on doing a uh, hosting a, a seminar sometime soon. I'm still in the early stages of planning on it. Uh, for screenwriting. So if you are an aspiring screenwriter and want to learn some of the basics, um, be on the lookout for that. It, it'll uh, cost a little bit of money, for, but it's a full-day seminar uh, where you'll be learning formatting and character development and structure and story arcs and all that fun stuff. All right, well, that could... Wait, oh, I have one last thing. One of the things that I love to do is to teach because I feel by teaching I... I further uh, solidify my own knowledge. Um, often in, in trying to explain something, I, I have my own realization. 
And we have a lot more days to shoot, and I could use help. So if you want to learn something about production or whatnot, um, reach out to me. And, you know, we, we shoot primarily in the Fort Walton Beach area on occasion in Pensacola, but I'd be happy to have anybody on set that wants to learn. All right, well, that concludes the filmmaking on a micro-budget panel. Thank you to Naraj, Kevin, and Steve for being a part of it. And stay tuned for some announcements. Thank you once again for checking out this week's episode of the Derek Diamond Experience. Hopefully you enjoyed listening to that panel about filmmaking on a micro-budget. And don't forget, you can check out all of our shows on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, and NerdCaveNetwork.com. Every Monday, we have the Derek Diamond Experience. Tuesday is the Nerd Cave Podcast. Wednesday is Fist of Monkey. Thursday is Pop Culture Palette. And every other Friday is Time for Comics. So hopefully you enjoyed this week's episode. I am your host, Derek Diamond, and we will see you guys back here next Monday. Listening to a Nerd Cave Network production.